Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Experts Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great guest with us, Jason Modulin, who is our regular re- uh, energy, our resident energy expert uh, with the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. And he's here today to answer all of your oil and gas questions that you might have. We are also approaching the end of the 87th Texas legislative session, and so Jason's going to be here to break down all the good and bad bills that um, are close to being signed into law here in Texas that will affect the oil and gas industry as well. So if you want to join in on the show today, call 210-308-8867, and you can ask Jason any energy question you might have. But before I bring on Jason, I'd like to tell you a little bit about our upcoming mixer that is scheduled for June 24th. It's going to be from 545 to 745, and it's at the beautiful Fogo de Chao on the San Antonio Riverwalk. Now, we're really excited because this is an all-streams mixer, meaning up, mid, and down will all be present at this mixer. And I personally think it's going to be the mother of all mixers because it's going to be a huge all-stream mixer. So I do encourage you, if you're interested in sponsoring or getting tickets, don't wait because this is going to be a sold-out event. It is every year that we are there at uh, Fogo the Chow on the Riverwalk. For more information or to get your tickets or to sponsor, go to shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G.com, and click on the top banner, and it'll take you straight to purchase the tickets or sponsor the event. Again, this will be a sold-out event, so you don't want to wait. And I'm really excited because Shell Magazine has released another amazing issue, and on the cover is Moda Midstream. They are one of the largest midstream companies in North America, and they are doing amazing work at their terminal, located in little, well, I should say huge, Ingleside, Texas. Uh, For more information about all three of those executives, be sure to visit shellmag.com, and you can get yourself the free issue and read all about Moda Midstream. If you are interested, one more time, in joining the show and talking to Jason and myself, call 210-308-8867. And now it's time for me to welcome on Jason Modulin, the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, welcome back to the show. Kim, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much for having me, and and thanks for moving this date around. We were uh, very busy during the legislative session, and so lots of Sundays worked at the Capitol, and so... This works out great. They just ended this past week. I thought it ended on Monday, so thank you for the clarification. And I'm so excited to have you on because, you know, this is fresh. Like, what passed, what didn't? Will we go into an extended session or will Governor Abbott bring back uh, an emergency session? And we want to get into all of that uh, here in the show. And, of course, take uh, live callers that have questions, too. But before we begin, I just want to briefly give you a moment to speak a little bit about uh, first of all, why you are our uh, you know resident energy expert and join you join us once a month, the Alliance, and we do appreciate that partnership. Is education is the key to understanding oil and gas, and you are no stranger 
to uh, oil and gas by, by any stretch. You, and so I want you to tell us a little bit about the alliance and how you became the president and how come you are so, so informed when we talk about oil and gas. Well, the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is a trade organization made up of over 2,000 uh, oil and gas operators stretch across the state 2, of Texas. Um, That's a lot. Uh, absolutely. And uh, what we do is we serve those members of, in a variety of functions, uh, communications, um, uh, and certainly trade uh, updates as far as what's happening at the legislature and at their regulated uh, regulated entities. Um, but then we also provide so, some uh, affordable employee solutions, whether it's insurance or other types of things, uh, to help them lower cost and, and stay in business. So that's been our bread and butter for the past 90 years. Uh, we were founded in 1930 in Wichita Falls, Texas. And you know, you and all, my, oh. well, y'all also, though, in, in just continuing to help uh, our listeners understand that if you're not a part of the alliance, you should be. You guys are, are like also a lobbying group that help the independent in a way that is, uh, they're, they're easily overlooked by the large, you know, EMP, uh, these big integrated companies. You guys fight for the little ones and the, and the service companies. So it's a great group and it's very affordable compared to some of the other associations that are out there. Sorry, other associations, but you guys are just a good group. To be a well, part. thank you very much. We, we have have long represented smaller independent operators in Austin and Washington D.C., advocating for them and, and and making sure that they are at the table, have a voice in some of these regulations, so that they're not shut out. You, you mentioned some of these larger multinational companies that sometimes uh, overlook uh, the mom and pops mm -hmm. and, and the regional representation that that we so value in this state, uh, rural Texas, uh, to really have a voice at the table. So, so that's been our bread and butter again for 90 years. And, and my background, um, I worked at the legislature, I worked for several state agencies, uh, and really enjoyed working with the Alliance in those capacities. And last year during COVID, uh, had the opportunity to, to move over and out of state government and, and take over uh, at the Alliance. And so I, I've, I've enjoyed it greatly. I'm enjoying it uh, to this day. And, uh, and we continue to add back events, uh, travel around the state and, and really speak to Texans uh, and to lawmakers and regulators about the importance of the independent oil and gas industry. And you know what I, I like about your group too is while you all focus a lot on Texas, you also focus a lot on DC and that's vitally important too. We're gonna get into that on, in the show here as well. But we are starting to build up our phone lines and before we really get into the 87th legis legislative session, I'd like to give some of our callers an opportunity. They might actually have questions that I might have for you too. So let's take uh, Bruce from San Antonio. Bruce, are you there? Welcome yes, to I in am. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. What is your question today? Well, I realize you people are more concerned with the smaller independents, but from where you guys sit, I was wondering if you could comment on what happened recently with Exxon and their uh, uh, the change in the board of directors at Exxon through a, uh, you know, a rather progressive group. Mm -hmm. Yes, we're familiar with uh, that board meeting and, and the, the goal. Uh, and I guess, do you have a slant on it, Bruce, in one way or another? You know, just curious, like, are you... Well, you... I, I, yeah, I think it's rather dangerous, but uh, but uh, that's my slant. I'd be interested in what the pros think. Okay. 
Yeah, it, it's definitely a challenge for these large publicly traded companies uh, that are that are so often under the gun um, from these types of activist investors that are really trying to get these companies to move away from oil and gas and really chase incentive and, and, and tax incentive dollars that uh, the European governments are throwing out and, and now, frankly, the United States government. And so what they're looking at is saying, look, here's a clear easy slam dunk win for you to go out and get a contract with a European country or with uh, the United States federal government and and take that to the bank. Um, that doesn't help uh, you. That doesn't help me uh, as it relates to the oil and gas that we need for our economy, for, for life, for fuel, um, uh, all the things that we need, not to mention the two billion people in this world that don't have reliable energy. Um, and they're being asked by these, these federal governments to uh, basically produce less, make it cost more. Um, that doesn't help anybody. So, um, uh, it's a dangerous game for sure. Uh, there will certainly be a lot of independents that see opportunity um, uh, to, to continue to produce oil and gas because there is strong demand for it. Um, and, and they will be at a disadvantage because they're chasing uh, these incentive type dollars that eventually dry up. Um, uh, the federal government uh, always runs out of other people's money. Well, you know, um, Jason, you're bringing up a good point. Um, in an op-ed piece that I'm going to produce or an opinion piece this early week uh, or coming out this week, uh, Pew Research released, I don't know if you're familiar with it, two-thirds of the United States population believes that oil and gas is, should be part of the portfolio moving forward, meaning they want to see coal, they want to see nuclear, they want to see renewables, but they also want to see oil and gas. And I think it is you know, that they're figuring out we cannot get off of it anytime soon. It provides uh, so many, our life is so um, easygoing because of it, you remove it and people start having all kinds of horrible things happen to them, including death. And, and, you know, there's issues and implication much greater than even us, things like national security issues and things that start happening. So really bad things happen. And thank God that two thirds of the United States population sees it. And so maybe, Maybe we are making some headway when you think about with the oil and uh, gas, uh, you know, their, their, their public image is starting to change. And I got to say, before we go to break, there is one commercial out right now from Energy Transfer, and I love it. It's right. It's showing um, the nice things that are provided by them by oil and gas and the commitment to uh, the community. It's a really nice put together commercial. So I think we're starting to see the needle move in oil and gas if two thirds get that we need oil and gas. When we come back from break, we've got phone lines booked up and we still need to get into the 87th uh, legislative session and what bills passed. But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to an old patch radio show and we'll be right back.
Crude Association of San Antonio invites you to the 7th Annual Golf Tournament and Sporting Clays Competition to benefit the Alzheimer's Association San Antonio and South Texas Chapter and the Carl McCain Memorial Foundation. It's Thursday and Friday, August 26th and 27th at the JW Marriott San Antonio Hill Country Resort and Spa. For more information and to register for the event, go to casa.dojiggy.com but do it soon as spaces will go quick. That's C-A-S-A dot D-O-J-I-G-G-Y dot com. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Jason Modulin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, I do want to try within our show to hit the 87th or, or talk about the 87th session. It's closing the bills that uh, passed that were successful on behalf of oil and gas and uh, which ones uh, did not pass that we had hoped would pass. But before uh, we get into that, I'm going to take some more callers. We have a lot of San Antonio callers, but... I want to take Joe, line three, from the Woodlands. Uh, Joe, I know you're a fan of the show. Thank you for calling in all the time. So what is your question for Jason uh, on energy? Yeah, well, thank you thank all for being there for us. I mean, it, these college shows and also the uh, websites and the magazine, it really tends to help bring the information to the public about uh, uh, the industry, especially those two-thirds that are still with us. That's right. But, and they're uh, growing. And we're growing. We're well, nationally yeah, syndicated now. Well. I'm very excited about yeah, that. <laughs> so, go and, ahead. Uh, well, Kim, Kim, you made a great point with this being a national security issue, because most green energy materials, if they're not made in China, they're made in some other hostile country. And, you know, they'll cut off our supply of cobalt and materials at any whim. Yeah. Lithium. Uh, my question. Wait, not lithium. What is it? Um, it? Is it lithium? Okay. Yeah, I know that there's another precious mineral that we use a lot of, and I wasn't sure if it was that one. But yes, you're oh, talking yeah. about cobalt and lithium. Mm-hmm. Lithium, yes. And I'm sure that could be another uh, uh, question at a, another uh, radio show in the future. But uh, my question this time is about offshore and area wind farms. And uh, Groups in the past have complained about oil and natural gas derricks in these, you know, same areas, even if they're barely visible from the shore. But, you know, as we know, wind farms, they're an enormous eyesore, and they disrupt the fishing industry. But, you know, even if, you know, they're placed on, you know, hidden mountain passes, they're still hideous. So why, in your opinion, have wind farms gotten a pass 
but the oil industry keeps getting browbeat. Do mm-hmm. companies not know how to return punches? That's, mm. that's the basic question. Go ahead, Jason. <laughs> well, I, I think the, the wind mm-hmm. industry has been stymied in a number of places. You may remember uh, about a decade ago that they were wanting to put a wind farm off of uh, uh, the Kennedy's place in Massachusetts, and, and they stopped that. Um, uh, just this weekend in the Wall Street Journal, there was a story about a solar facility uh, that they're wanting to install in uh, national protected lands in southern Nevada that would span 7,000 football fields. Uh, Just an unbelievable 14 square miles of solar panels. Um, And as you might suspect, uh, the friends of the desert, the folks advocating for the tortoises and other endangered species out there, uh, they're none too happy with these types of utility scale renewable projects. Uh, that will certainly be a blight on the land, uh, uh, not to mention an eyesore. And um, so, yeah, they're, they're experiencing some pushback as well. And really, uh, the advances that the oil and gas industry has made over the past hundred years to reduce our footprint on the surface and really maximize production um, below ground uh, is it, truly remarkable. It's it's to be a good neighbor while also being efficient uh, with our investments and, and producing as much as we can. Um, it, it's just uh, qu- quite the opposite uh, when you have these types of technologies that require the grand scale, that don't have the energy density that oil and gas has. Um, uh, they, they do become an eyesore on the land and, and they're finally getting some pushback. Well, Jason, also in talking about Joe's question, why is it that solar and wind are exempt, but oil and gas are not from having to go through and, um, you know, how oil and gas has to go to the Endangered Species Act and follow all these rules. But for some reason or another, wind and solar are exempt. Yet we know there's a lot of issues there, too. How did they get that kitchen pass, yet oil and gas cannot? Yeah, somehow they, they, they've kind of uh, hoodwinked uh, the, the federal government to, to thinking that um, uh, because they're quote unquote green technologies that they're not subject to these same types of protections. Um, but uh, I, I think that that is changing and, and that good. is a good thing good, good. Um, so that there is criticism across the board. Look, if a solar panel is generated in China and it's produced uh, with, with far dirtier coal than we would ever burn here in the United States, uh, that shouldn't be scored as a win uh, either for the environment or for American consumers. And so um, uh, we should be just as discriminatory against that um, if they're going to apply some standard uh, specific to the oil and gas industry. Well, I think the other thing, though, is before we go to break, and I don't want to bring color in because we won't have enough time, but let's talk about, though, quickly also the wind and the solar, the, the panels and the farm, we sh- we, these solar uh, or wind turbines and, and solar farms, we saw that when Texas had the snow and the freeze that we had, what, in February, um, they didn't operate properly. And so we, I think the legislator, which we're going to cover, uh, the 87th legislator that's closing or has closed now, they had to look at those, uh, what went wrong. And some of the things we know went wrong was the fact that 
oil and gas was really not a part of it or the, the base load capacity, which I want you to explain that. What were we missing and why did these, we know solar and wind, we, you know, they were covered in snow and the wind turbines froze, so they didn't provide anything. And if we had relied on good old natural gas uh, as the main source I don't think that we would have had any of these problems. Everybody would have had enough and adequate resources. So when we come back from break, I want to talk about the 87th session and how much did our legislators cover and and get passed through, and and did we miss something as well? And it does affect oil and gas, so I do want to talk about it. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Join Shale Magazine for the All Streams Networking Mixer on June 24th in San Antonio along the beautiful Riverwalk at Fogo de Chao, 849 East Commerce Street. The Mixer will feature the best of upstream, midstream, and downstream. Now all we need is you. If you're interested in being a sponsor or to purchase tickets, go to shalemag.ticketleap.com. That's shalemag.ticketleap.com. Psst. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest-growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash Teak and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Thank you. And welcome back. Welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modulin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. If you want to join the show and if you have an oil and gas question, please feel free to call 210-308-8867. You know, Jason, uh, live shows, you have these little technical difficulties. I just want to say that some of the callers that are on hold are like, we can't hear Jason. I'm like, it's okay, as long as we hear you on the air. Uh, But things happen when they're live, so we've corrected that. Let's take another caller, Mateo, San Antonio. Thank you for joining in the Oil Patch Radio Show. I don't think you've called in before. What is your question for Jason? Yeah, uh, thank you for taking my call. I just want to let you know, first and foremost, that I'm a very big fan of the show. Thank you. I've been listening to it for a couple years now, and I absolutely love it, and we adore you, uh, Kim. So my question for Jason is uh, is really what are the implications to the oil and gas sector and the consumers now that President Biden has rescinded uh, the ANWR uh, leases pending further environmental review? The ANWR. And, and right, is that what it is, yes. Jason? And what? Yeah, and what, yeah. yeah, yeah, Mateo, it's a it's a great question. So mm. those leases were actually already issued. Uh, people were starting to drill, and it, it's a really it's a fascinating history. That North Slope of Alaska uh, has been producing oil and gas since 1977. Um, uh, really, has been a, a critical supply for the United States. 
um, and and we're walking it back uh, by freezing these leases for more environmental review. Um, it, it's really a tragedy. This is an incredibly large area on the north side of Alaska, uh, and the area affected is only about 5% of uh, Anwar um, and really along the coastline um, where there are no uh, wildlife or other types of things that uh, the administration has said they're concerned with. Uh, and so, unfortunately, it's going to result in less production uh, out of the state of Alaska, which is a critical uh, component to uh, the overall makeup of the United States where we get our fuel supply. It's about a quarter of the fuel supply comes out of Alaska. And so this would lessen the amount uh, that the state's able to produce. And I guess it's probably also going to come back to the economics of it. So if they're going to remove... Um, what percentage did you say it was that they're providing to us? So Alaska is about 25% of overall production for the United States. Uh, uh, Texas is closer to 45. So, you know, we're doing a little better, but, um, uh, but they provide a critical component. And if they're not producing it, we have to import it from somewhere else. That's the bottom line. Um, that, that demand does not go away simply because they're constraining supply here in the United States. And where does the consumer, Jason, feel it? Like, it, obviously, here in Texas, you know, San Antonio, I'm pretty happy that we're the lowest gas prices in Texas. But uh, explain to the listener how this has an impact on them uh, in their pocketbooks, right? And yeah, you feel it in multiple places, both at the fuel pump, um, but then also in manufactured goods, uh, yes. in in farming. Uh, so much of our supply chain for all types of industry rely on affordable, abundant uh, fuel and natural gas um, to, to produce what they need to produce. And so if it costs more to import it, um, then uh, anything produced in the United States will cost more. Um, our vegetables, our, our fruit, our other grains will take more to be produced and harvested. Um, uh, so it, it it starts to snowball, uh, if you will, if if you constrain our supply here in the United States. And we also saw that with the Colonial Pipeline and the uh, malware attack, when they took off a great deal of, of uh, energy or you know crude off of the line in the states that it was affected. I think it was what fourteen states or something like that. And they saw the same thing. Anytime you like a balloon, you push on one side, the other side's gonna expand and we're seeing that when you when the government Biden administration is is pulling these things off or unfortunately we have a a, a very important pipeline that's strategically located through states and that gets taken offline the consumer can expect more for the cost of goods and that's a problem and i think now consumers maybe it's that pew report research paper that was released showing consumers are getting it like getting we don't it. like these high prices that we're paying at the grocery store and at the pump and we don't like when we don't have adequate energy uh, resources such as uh you know the lights in your home or basic heating which texas felt that in february jason when we come back from break i want to get into the 87th Uh, closing of the Texas legislators you're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Join us in Aransas Pass, June 11th through 13th for the 73rd annual Shrimperie at the Aransas Pass Community Park. It's three days of fun, music, and of course, shrimp. Tickets are $7 for those 13 years and up. Children 7 to 12 are $5, and kids under 6 get in for free. 
Don't miss the 73rd Annual Shrimperie in Aransas Pass, June the 11th through 13th. For details and tickets, call 361-758-2750 or go to Eventbrite and search Shrimperie Aransas Pass. We're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modulin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, I want to hold off on uh, accepting any calls right now because we just closed the 87th session uh, here in Texas. Texas legislators only meet every two years. There's a lot of important things that have to get done in a short window of time that have to last for two years. First is they have to balance the budget before they start looking at any bills. But now, with that being said... What happened uh, in the oil and gas industry? What bills made it through that you guys were happy with? Were there any that didn't pass? Do you think we're going to go into a special session? And most importantly, I want to get into also, the Texas legislators were given a task to fix some problems that happened with the February snow freeze. Did they get that completed as well? So take it away. Well, it was a successful and productive session that will benefit Texans, oil and gas producers, and consumers. I think uh, there were three good, very good things on the oil and gas side. First, eminent domain reform was finally passed by no, the legislature. That's awesome. uh, it took multiple sessions, sessions. Uh, uh, over uh, nearly a decade, uh, but this will result in some very productive reforms uh, to benefit landowners while at the same time providing certainty to critical infrastructure builders, whether it's pipelines, roadways, water and electric infrastructure, that those projects will not be derailed. So we were very pleased that that made it to the governor's desk. Very good. Second, an important effort to reform state investments in contracting by preventing state agencies from rewarding tax dollars and investments with entities that proactively harm the oil and gas industry. This was an important effort championed by Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. We're happy to see these common sense, prudent measures applied to these companies that take state tax dollars, and, and those are generally generated by the oil and gas industry, and then they turn around and they boycott projects, they harm contractors, and they discriminate against energy providers. So um, we, we were happy that that made it to the governor's desk. And then finally, the legislature took some care to stop cities and local jurisdictions from adopting these radical climate change agendas that block citizens from installing natural gas service and appliances in new developments. Like energy diversity is a good thing, but denying one type of service would harm Texans. Uh, and this bill ensures customer choice and access. I think as far as it relates to the storm, they did take some important efforts to reorganize how the state manages the power grid. Uh, first, they adopted some rules that will prevent lengthy rolling blackouts. They're going to be issuing fines to utilities that are not prepared for severe weather. 
They've created a statewide power outage alert system uh, to really help on the demand response side so that if you get notice uh, that these outages are going to occur, you can take steps both at your own home, but then also for planning purposes to know what you need to be prepared for. Uh, if you need to travel uh, or, or insulate uh, frozen goods, things of that nature. They're also reforming the Public Utility Commission membership. They're doing some supply chain mapping. I mean, they've really taken a broad approach to addressing this issue. Um, and, and, and we think positive steps that are going to prevent the types of issues that we saw back in February. Well, so then let me back up and ask you. So one of the issues that kept coming up was the fact that we didn't have enough baseload capacity exist here in Texas. I want you to explain that. What does that mean, baseload capacity? What was the problem? And then most importantly, did the legislators fix that problem? Yeah, so there there is criticism that we don't have enough base load capacity. I think that's probably the the wrong approach uh, to to be focused on. Really, we're talking about dispatchable power, um, and so when you need it what can you turn on that will provide the electricity that you need? Um, you can turn on natural gas, um, coal, nuclear, they, those have to stay on. So you don't have the ability to really ramp up those. And then you have zero ability to command the sun to shine or the wind to blow. Um, uh, and so what we really need in this state is more natural gas to be able to flip on the switch when we need it uh, and be able to produce. Um, uh, they did not take steps to mandate that those be installed, um, but they did take some positive steps as far as directing the Public Utility Commission to really engage in some active rulemaking uh, to make sure that that dispatchable power is there when it needs to be there. So, you know, going back to when we had this, uh, this snowstorm and we had, remember we had Christy uh, Railroad Commissioner, or Chairman uh, Craddock on to discuss what happened. And, you know, she basically said that the utility companies didn't really understand where these facilities were located. And when they shut off the entire state, they shut off really important components, which was the natural gas that would have at least kept heating and lighting on for a lot of Texans, but they shut those down too. And then it led into the pipes freezing, correct? Is that been reformed too? Have we, have we learned something on that, that now we have a roadmap for success? Should we have this again? Because it's not a matter if we're going, we're going to have it again, it's when. Right, that we're going to have yeah, a big the, storm. The, the mapping component will be a critical uh, part of that reform. Is basically to make sure that the supply chain from natural gas to these folks that are, that are burning it to produce electricity, that that supply chain is protected um, from interruptions or shutoffs. We certainly saw during the storm uh, wide swaths of uh, the Permian Basin, but also other basins in this state get cut off, the Eagleford in particular, um, and then they couldn't produce more gas. And so uh, natural gas providers uh, were dependent upon their withdrawal from storage uh, to really meet the need. Uh, as you remember then, 99.95% of gas meters were kept on during the storm, thanks to the work of the Railroad Commission. That's right. But we did see some interruption at electricity facilities. About 15%, according to ERCOT, did not have enough gas to be able to turn the power on. About 
Well, when we get back from break, we're going to get into D.C. politics with the Biden administration. You're listening to and the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. We're back. You're listening to in the Wool Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Jason Modulin, the president of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers. Jason, I want to switch gears and get us into D.C. politics, the Biden administration. And there were some big things that happened from the last time we were together. And one of them specifically was the colonial pipeline ransomware attack and how it took that pipeline off. And, you know, I've been with Shale for nine years now. And it's Many of the seminars I've attended, many of the uh, um, law enforcement, FBI that we've we've engaged with have all said cybersecurity is a real problem. It's a matter of national security. I mean, terrorists could blow up pipelines, refineries. It's a very serious problem. Well, the Biden administration, the Department of, of Homeland Security, issued its first ever pipeline regulation type of ruling. And my question to you is, is it good? Is it bad? You know, I would think that we probably needed to take this a lot more seriously to avoid any kind of real potential threat. Um, but I want to get your opinion. What do you think um, we need to do in, in taking, I mean, it is a difficult situation for, for midstream companies, operators, uh, to make sure that they're secure. Where are we going with this? Do we need yeah, more regulation? Absolutely. Um, I, I wouldn't say we need more regulation, but we do need to make sure that these companies uh, are taking prudent steps to to engage and, and to protect their networks. Uh, you might remember that the Colonial Pipeline was about 50% of the fuel that goes to the East Coast, um, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was gasoline, but also jet fuel and diesel. Um, so critically important pipeline. Uh, what was actually hacked was not the operation of the line, but of kind of the sales uh, networks uh, uh, for Colonial. And so they were able to uh, protect the pipeline, but uh, unfortunately uh, had to shut down their system for, for quite a while on the sales component side of things. And look, it's a good thing that we are uh, taking a proactive approach to stopping these hackers. Uh, just this last week, they were attacking uh, our food supply too. So, I mean, we really need the federal government to step up, uh, take these threats seriously, 
uh, if they find that these are state-supported actors uh, that are participating in these hacks, we need to take um, uh, action against them uh, to stop these types of activities and really get partners uh, on the other side of the world to stop these types of uh, shops that pop up. Well, I think the interesting thing is, so the Biden administration is going to meet with Putin here soon, and they approved a pipeline for Russian, but shut down ours. So um, he said he's going to take this seriously, that, uh, you know, this hacking will not be acceptable and all this stuff. So we'll see. Let's move to FERC. Uh, first of all, let's go over what FERC is. What does the agency do? And discuss more importantly, they have created or they are now tasked to create a new office that will be for uh, pipeline opponents, uh, people that are um, in opposition of more pipelines. And so I'm curious, like, we know that pipeline is the most secure and the least expensive. Uh, I mean, pipelines are good. They are underground. They are secure. We have um, we have millions of, of miles already. Why is pipeline such a problem now? And what do you think about the new uh, office that's going to be set up? Is this going to be a roadblock, roadblock for midstreamers? Yeah, so uh, first, the, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, it's a federal agency designed to govern the approval process of interstate pipelines, but also electricity transmission lines that, that cross state lines. Okay. And, and you're absolutely right. They are setting up a new office, the Office of Public Participation. Uh, uh, coincidentally enough, they were told to do this by Congress in 1978. I think Joe Biden was in Congress at the time. Uh, and so that's just good government for you. It only takes 43 years to, <laughs> to set something up uh, at I this agency. And, and, and look, I, I do think it is going to uh, present a problem for midstream companies, uh, but it's also going to present a problem for the president um, because he wants to put solar panels and wind turbines across the Southwest, um, and that requires electric transmission lines. And, and, and that's going to be a problem if now the federal government is fighting with itself to stop these types of projects that cross state lines. Um, and you're absolutely right. Pipelines are the safest way to move uh, both fuel and natural gas and crude. Um, uh, just this past week on the Colonial Pipeline, Secretary Jennifer Granholm said that pipelines were the safest yes, that's uh, right. way to move. And, and, and then, you know, she was corrected by the uh, folks that, that wanted to have a different message. But um, uh, it's absolutely right. It's the safest way to move it. And it it doesn't impede the land in any way. Um, so uh, unlike electric transmission lines. Let's talk about quickly, uh, the Biden administration seems to have a lot of, uh, you know, different um, tasks coming down or regulation on oil and gas. Anything really uh, that we should be keeping our eye out on or something that just passed that is very problematic for the energy industry? You've got about three minutes. Yeah, so uh, with the administration rejoining the Paris Climate Accords right in January, that's really jump-started an avalanche of new regulation coming from the federal government. It goes far beyond what President Obama had proposed and adopted. Uh, as we mentioned earlier on the call, a pause on all new federal leases and a review of existing leases. Uh, and that's really creating a growing uncertainty on federal land production. Uh, and that's about 10% of US production overall. Uh, we're seeing a return to the methane regulations that President Obama had proposed. Uh, and so that's gonna result in a dramatic increase in cost 
for domestic producers. And then coupled with that, the administration uh, working with their counterparts in Congress are dramatically uh, are proposing dramatic increases in taxes uh, for domestic Ooh. producers. Uh, and so that's that's all that's going to do is incentivize overseas production. It's going to help out the Saudi Arabia's of the world, the Russia's of the world, um, because that's where we'll need to get uh, oil and gas from. Um, but then they want to layer in new incentives uh, for solar and wind uh, to be generated overseas. A lot of this is being produced right now in China, which relies uh, on over 60% of their fuel mix is coal. Um, so they're producing and polluting a lot in China importing it right. over here. Right. Uh, our friends at Life Powered like to say we're exporting jobs and importing pollution. You know, you, you got to wonder, though, seriously, like, where, where are we going with this? This is we're weakening our dollar as well. But Jason, that is all the time that we have for the show. I do want to uh, leave our listeners with you're a great group to join. If you're in oil and gas uh, or in, you know, selling into it, join TexasAlliance.org, right? TexasAlliance.org and get involved and get engaged. And I want to thank our callers also who called in today. Jason, it's a great partnership that we have with you guys. Education is the key um, to understanding more about oil and gas and how it affects, you know, the average Joe. And I'm glad that you your organization sees the importance of this with us and continues to partner with us. And I'm really excited that now that we are nationally syndicated, our show will grow even further into maybe a little bit more hostile <laughs> areas versus Texas that tends to love oil and gas. But anyway, that's all the time we have for this show. Thank you for being a guest and we look forward to having you back. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.